Hey everyone, welcome back to Talking to the Internet. Again, I'm just so grateful for all of you that are out there listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. I'm excited to announce that this episode is sponsored by Podcorn. As many of you know, if you've ever tried to start a show, you know there are costs associated with starting the show. There's equipment costs, there's hosting costs, and all of these things add up to the benefit of having sponsors or the benefit of having uh, patrons or, or having folks that will tip and, and provide resources for you. So um, when I started the show, I thought, you know, I'm going to dip my toe in the water here and try to figure out if I can get some folks to sponsor the show. I didn't have the resources and didn't feel like I had the clout to engage a third-party entity. Then I found Podcorn. So what is Podcorn? Podcorn is a super simple place for hosts of shows like me who are looking for sponsors to find folks who want to sponsor podcasts. You go in, there's a super simple dashboard where you can see who's willing or who's looking to sponsor a show. You can make your pitch to them. You can give them the style of the pitch that you want to do, or you can choose a couple different styles, whether it's an ad or whether it's a kind of a natural review or or something that you work into the show. You can browse and choose opportunities uh, that fit what you want to do. You can set your own rates. Uh, You can collaborate with brands uh, and you don't have to make exclusives. The best thing about it is you never give up rights to your podcast. So I'm excited to have Podcorn as uh, the first sponsor of Talking to the Internet. Um, If you're interested in trying to find a sponsor for your show, I highly recommend you go to their website, podcorn.com, sign up, make an account, look at the available sponsorships right now, submit a couple pitches and see if anyone is interested in sponsoring your show. Thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode of Talking to the Internet. Now, on to this week's show. Welcome, welcome. This is Talking to the Internet. It is my privilege today to have a host of the Accidental Tech Podcast and Analog on Relay FM, developer of the iOS apps Vignette and Peak of You, and blogger at Liss Is More, Mr. Casey Liss. Hello, how are you? Wonderful. Casey, thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to hear your story. We're excited to learn from you um, about all of the different ways you talk to the internet. So thanks so much for being here. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. All right, so we'll start out in the most general way possible, right? The show mm-hmm. is about talking to the internet. It's about all of the different forms that you talk to the internet, which you do a lot. Can you... <laughs> is that is that a compliment? Yes, no? <laughs> no, it is. Like so, you know, you know, as I'm as I'm researching and kind of familiarizing myself more with the with the different folks I have on, um, you know, there's different ways. Like you talk to you talk to the internet in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think. Uh, Correct me where I'm wrong, but like it's safe to say that most people would probably know ATP, right? Especially in the tech world. Um, but uh, there's a lot of other different ways that you talk to the internet. So can you take us before we get there? Can you take us way, 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 way back to the very beginning? And what was the first way that you started talking to the internet, and the first reason, uh, more so, the reason that you started talking to the internet? So the earliest memory that I have of talking to the internet was when I had put a web page somewhere, probably on my ISP, 
um, back when I was in like middle school. So this would have been mid nineties. And I remember I made a little website that I believe I called Caseyville because everything was like, not skeuomorphic isn't the word for it, but like everything was being related to the real world, which I guess is skeuomorphism, but it, in a different way, like think of GeoCities, for example, which we'll yeah, come yeah. to in a moment, you know, everything had to have an analog in the real life. So Caseyville was my little city on the internet and it had like one or two pages on it. There was like nothing there. Um, and I remember coding that by hand in HTML, which at the time was really, really difficult because documentation was not easy to come by and nobody really knew what they were doing. And certainly a little middle schooler didn't know what he was doing. Um, but I wrote that and I have no record of it whatsoever other than my memory. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember joining GeoCities when it was cool. Um People knew about it. I, I, I wouldn't say I was, you know, hipster on GeoCities, but I was I was in the earlier phases when it was definitely cool to be in Geo, GeoCities. I remember I chose the Silicon Valley neighborhood. Uh, kids, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up. You know, I'm sure Wikipedia has all sorts of information about GeoCities, but it was the like place to put up a web page. And it was very what you see is what you get. It was actually incredible technology for the time. And I remember I, I think I was in like the second batch of addresses because the way GeoCities worked worked was you know you would be like geocities.com slash neighborhood slash address so i was like geocities.com slash silicon valley or silicon hills whatever they called it slash one two three four five and i remember being like early on in the numbers it's like having a low icq number i don't know if yeah you, exactly if you yeah. Ever oh, yes. that oh yes part oh, of yes. your work i'm still one two oh two five seven two and I haven't looked at it in like 20 wow, years but i'm still that's there am- that's amazing i can't yeah. believe you just rattled that off I don't know why. I don't know why I still know that. I should probably see if it even exists. I think it does exist. I should go log in and see 20 years of back messages. But yeah. nevertheless, uh, I was early on in GeoCities, and then I kind of faded after that. And I remember I put up a website when I was in college at Virginia Tech, uh, which we share in common. Uh, when I was at Tech, I put up a website, I think, on what they called Filebox, if I'm not mistaken, at the time, which was basically your web hosting at vt.edu. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, I graduated. I ran a Linux server out of the house, had a web page on there that didn't have much on it. Uh, and then in 2014, I uh, wrote my own blog engine as nerds are off to do. And that's when I published uh, what I call lists is more at caseylist.com. And that was my journey on the web. Now, interspersed with that is, of course, you know, podcasting and, and ICQ and IRC and other various and sundry places, Twitter and starting, in, I think, 2008, which I spend entirely too much time on, but I sometimes get decent value out of it. So <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff intermixed. I don't know why I concentrated so heavily on web, I guess, because that was like my first real talking to the Internet was via the web. So what what got you? I mean, I mean, at the time it wasn't trivial to do these things, right? Like whether you were putting up a, a single page or whether you were, um, you know, doing a whole, you know, 25 page, seven layer deep, you know, kind of, kind of a site, <laughs> it, it wasn't trivial, right? I mean, you, you, like nowadays we log into a thing, you know, you, you pay maybe a little bit of money and you po- you write three lines and now you have a website, you know, like it was not that way. So what, what motivated you to do it? Well, you're right, but you're also wrong. So, in a sense, it was more trivial back in the day. Like, in a sense, when I first put up Caseyville, which was like one or two HTML files and like a couple of images, I would almost argue that it was easier then because literally all it was was one plain text file that ended in .html and had a bunch of less than greater than signs in it, right? <laughs> and there was little else to it. Now, to your point, 
you can go to, say, Squarespace, not a sponsor, but it is good. You can go to Squarespace and you can put up a website real simple and it can look beautiful with almost no work on your part. But it's a different kind of simplicity, right? Because it's less effort, but it is not at all simple. There's so Uh, many layers and different pieces involved in making that happen. And I feel like when I started on the internet, when I started publishing for, for myself, really, things were a little bit easier. It was, it was arguably more difficult to find a place to host these files that was accessible on the internet. Um, I think, and originally it was probably on my ISPs, like tilde folder, whatever that's called, you know, in, mm-hmm. in Unix systems, it used to be like, you know, some ISP.com slash tilde caseyless. And yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be your, your home directory. And that's where you could put web stuff. And, and that's probably where Caseyville was. And then GeoCities, you know, got a little easier, but again, more complicated, if that makes sense. It just has progressed since then. And actually something my co-host Marco Arman has been talking about a, a lot recently is how bloated maybe, but how unbelievably complicated the web has become. You know, when I was first doing this stuff, CSS wasn't a thing. A cascaded style sheet wasn't a thing. And if you're not familiar, that's how that's how you style things on the web, how you change fonts and, and relocate things around the page and so on and so forth. And, and that's, I mean, that's been around for probably 20 years now. But at the time in which I started, that wasn't a thing. And so as we make everything so much more advanced, we also make it so much more complicated. So I totally take your point that it is easier to just go to Squarespace and have a new site in a couple of minutes. But there's a lot more moving parts there. And and one of the things that I fear for my children is how are they going to learn all this stuff when there's so many different moving parts all happening at once? Where for me, it was comparatively like the Stone Ages. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's interesting you talk about, you know, one of the fears is will they even have to learn it? Or will it just be that they do a thing and somebody else completely controls the, the one end of it where... You know, you're 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 removing that ability to have agency in certain parts of it. You know, if Squarespace decides, for, forgive me for picking on them, but it's like they or <laughs> WordPress or somebody, right? Like if if they decide they're going to change the whole thing, you don't have any control over that. Absolutely zero control. You're just kind of a cog in the wheel that says, you know, I tried to put things up there. So that's interesting in terms of how much of it you quote unquote own or control, and then how much of it you're willing to let somebody else take and 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 run with. So. Yeah. It's a, okay. So, so I want. I still want to dig in on this. In this point, like, why? Why did you even <laughs> want to? Why did you even want to put anything out there? Nobody cares what you have to say, Casey. Uh, no, it's it's a really good question. And at first, well, maybe always, but certainly at first, it was to scratch my own itch. I wanted to be able to say I had something on the internet, and especially in like the early to mid '90s, like that was. That was a very big nerd rite of passage is to be able to say, I have a web page. And it is, it, they were all dumb. Every single one of them was dumb. Mine, possibly the most dumb of them all, but they were all dumb. And I just wanted to be able to say, I've done it. And it was very much in the same way that the app store in like the late aughts was the wild, wild west. And you just wanted to be there. You just wanted to be there and put something on the app store. It can be dumb. It can be a fart app. It can be a thing where it looks like you're drinking a beer when you tilt your phone up, like whatever. But you just wanted to be there. And some of that was certainly financially motivated because people did make money off of, you know, flatulence apps and so on. But a lot of it was just being there. And and that's the way the internet was for me when I was a kid. I just wanted mm. to be there, man. I just wanted to be there. And that was the beginning. And then over time, I think I've always, I think I've always had some amount of knowledge that I think 
is original or perhaps a different take on the knowledge that I do have that I've wanted to share. And I, if you look at my output to the internet, not a lot of it is, you know, sharing techniques or tips or information. Mostly it's me just talking about myself or my life or my family or what have you. But there are instances where I put up things that I thought were useful. So as a silly example, when I was at tech, I had a pocket PC, you know, one of those uh, Windows PDAs, personal digital mm-hmm, assistant. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I had figured out how to VPN. I think I, I don't know if I needed a VPN. It doesn't matter. I figured out some way to sync with my desktop in my dorm room when I was out and about on tech's campus. And that was like a big deal. And not a lot of people had been able to put together how to do that. And I like had put together a couple of pages on my website about how to do that. Now, I bet you not a single individual um, in the world (laughs) ever saw that information. But I felt like it was a little bit of not trivia, but knowledge that I wanted to share. So the next Casey who's trying to figure out, well, how do I sync my pocket PC remotely can, can see how I did it and learn from it. And, and I think that's always been, when it comes to web publishing, it's always been something that I've tried to do, you know, and I've like, when I started learning RX Swift, which is this weird way of writing um, iOS apps, I wrote a series of blog posts about that because I felt like everyone else who had taught RX Swift had always jumped into the deep end. Like, Hey, here's how you do this incredibly complex thing. And I really, the, the way I learn best and maybe, maybe a lot of people are this way. And I think Corey, you probably have thoughts on this, but the way I learn best is by waiting in the shallow end and saying, okay, take this one little bit of information and let's learn that. And then let's mm-hmm. build upon that with just a little bit more and let's learn that. And, and so when it comes to web publishing, I think I've always fancied myself to be kind of a closet or quiet educator, even, even though that most of my web content doesn't applied it isn't educational i always feel like one of my favorite things to do is to try my hand at explaining something even if nobody else sees it and in part because it makes me understand it better Oh, absolutely. I, I was just going to say that, right? Um, so the thing that you're talking about where you, you know, you wade into the shallow and we call that scaffolding in the educational mm-hmm. world, where mm-hmm. it's like you, you take them, you take the learner to the next appropriate place, right? You don't take them into the deep end and throw them in and say, learn how to swim. You go, right, right, right. oh, what's the next thing you need to, you need to learn, right? And the other thing that, you know, I've, I've had to learn myself over the, over the years is, you know, writing is uh, a lot of times learning, right? The, mm-hmm. When we write things down, we internalize it. We think about it differently. Just the idea of working through the ideas. And I think, you know, we're going to get there here in a second, but I think podcasting is a, is a very similar thing or talking with other folks is a very similar thing. So, you know, you're writing down your, your little RX Swift tutorials and you're still processing through those things and you're still learning about those things and you're still thinking through like, did I do this right? Would I do this different? How would I, you know, how would I tell somebody else the pros and the cons or the the good things I did and the bad things I did? And I think the same thing is true with literally like vocal, you know, you and I talking about, um, let's say you were trying to teach me how to do, you know, X, Y, Z with, you know, CSS, right? I, sorry, that's a lot of letters, but, um, <laughs> you know, so, but it's like, let's say you were trying to teach me something like that. As you and I are talking about it, we're still going to teach each other things, uh, through that process. So that's interesting. So that your motivation was, you know, communicating ideas and, and teaching topics to somebody that's out there that might want to, uh, learn learn whatever whatever it was you were figuring out so all right so get me to 
so, okay, so we talked about the, the kind of the web publishing side of it. Get me to um, actually talking to the internet <laughs> you know, uh, with, with words into a microphone. Sure. So uh, I've known uh, my co-host on ATP, Marco Arment, for, I don't know, almost 30 years now, something like that. Uh, we knew each other as kids um, growing up. And, you know, we fell out of touch and not in a bad way. Just, you know, we, we, he lived in Ohio. I lived all over the country and we just didn't really talk that much. And then around the time that he started at Tumblr, uh, because Marco was the, I believe, CTO of Tumblr for a long time. Uh, around that time, he and I fell back in touch and, you know, we started to talk more and more on the internet. And I had been scratching my web publishing itch at that point uh, via Tumblr, and I was publishing a lot on Tumblr. And um, if you really want a good laugh, if you know anything about me today, uh, somewhere I'll dig up a link. You can watch me argue with Marco Arment via Tumblr uh, about whether or not one really needs a Macintosh computer. And I had vehemently argued that you don't need it. It's overpriced. There's no benefit from it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that was a very different Casey, to say the least. But nevertheless, um, around that time, you know, we fell back in, in, in contact and you know, we started to become friend, super friendly again. And uh, shortly after that, Marco started recording his, po his podcast, Build and Analyze. And you know, here's a friend of mine who had been recording a podcast. And I thought, well, you know, he's, he's a developer like I am and he's a friend. And I guess I should give this podcasting thing a try from a consumption point of view. And so I started listening to Build and Analyze. And as with everyone else who starts this way, you know, oh, well, what is this hypercritical show that they keep talking about? Maybe I should check that out. And next thing I know, I'm listening to two podcasts. Oh, and the talk show, that sounds interesting. And yeah, I've, I've started to read John Gruber now because now I own a Mac because I'm that guy. And so let me listen to the talk show. And, and it spidered out from there. And so... You know, I started listening to basically all the 5 by 5 shows as, as one was off to do or want to do. Um, when would this have been? I guess the late aughts, maybe early 10s. But one way or another, I was listening to all those shows. And I had been saying to Marco around the time, although I didn't know it at the time, around the time that Build and Analyze was ending, like, we should do a show about cars. We like The two of us really like cars. Now, as it turns out, we don't know anything about cars, but we like cars and we really enjoy talking about cars. So we should do a show about cars. And I kept like needling him about it, needling him about it, and he would, not in a jerky way, but he was kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Uh, and then eventually, Build and Analyze ended, and then you know a month or two went by, and he said, you know what, I, I want, I want to record a show. Let's let's do it. Let's try it. Oh, and by the way, you know John Syracuse, his show Hypercritical has also just ended, and he likes cars a lot. Let's get him involved. And so, uh, I I like to think that. It was me coming, uh, my recollection anyway, my headcanon is that I came to Marco and said, let's record a car show. But critically, Marco said to me, well, let's, in let's invite John. Uh, and, you know, we eventually ended up deciding uh, Neutral, which is a name that I believe I came up with. Uh, and we started recording Neutral. And uh, that lasted for 12 episodes. And afterwards, we would record a little bit of us just shooting the stuff about you know, nerd things like computers and Apple and whatnot. And Marco had the absolutely brilliant idea of starting to release that as like a B-side to neutral. And it turns out that three computer nerds talking about cars, nobody really cares. Three computers <laughs> computer nerds talking about computers, well, you got something there. And that's how the Accidental Tech Podcast was born. And that was in early-ish, mid-2013. And it is now seven years later, and we've recorded every week for seven years. Okay, so so I want to I want to back up because... Um... I, you probably, I don't think we've ever talked about this um, in any of the small places that you and I have chatted, but my first, one of the first shows I ever listened to, one of the first podcasts I ever listened to is Accidental Tech Podcast. And it's because I'm a, I'm a student at Virginia Tech and 
my neighbor was uh, I forget what he did. He ran like the websites for part uh, recs, like par, uh, not parks and recs. What am I thinking? Um, you know, like rec sports. And oh, he ran yeah, the yeah. websites mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. rec sports, right? And and he said, "Well, have you ever listened to podcasts?" You know, he knew I ran and and I was listening to audiobooks. And I said, "No, you know, I don't. I know of them, but I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, and he was like, "Well, g- check out this one and this one and this one." And one of the ones he recommended to me was was Accidental Tech Podcast, right? So one of the first podcasts I ever listened to is Accidental Tech Podcast, and uh, I don't mind telling you this. I I did not like it. Like it was I was not a fan <laughs> because it was it was a little bit too nerdy for me, right? Like you all went too deep into the technical and you would lose me. And I was like, oh yeah, I have no idea what they're talking about. And yep. I don't really care what they're talking about. And that's okay. But like I've I've always dabbled in and out, dabbled in and out. And it's because you all blend that line of super nerdy in-depth detail and then commentary on higher level thing. And then, you know, the random John talking about toasters, right? So it's like, like it, it runs across the spectrum of that. Um, that's kept me... In, engaged in the show but one of the things that's interesting to me is so did you know john at yeah. all other than <laughs> knowing hypercritical before you started the show yes uh we knew each other uh, medium well is that not, not a stake but does, like does that make sense yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, knew, we were i'd like to think we were friends uh, we were more than acquaintances i think but we weren't like super close um i had met john in 2011 so it was my first time at wwdc which is apple's uh well at that point then annual uh june conference in san francisco but anyways uh, marco and i were in line for the keynote when this and this is when you know at that point steve jobs came out and would announce you know all the new things and the new version of ios and so on and so forth um, and Marco and I were waiting in line and all of a sudden this really tall guy comes up to us and finds <laughs> us in line and it only took me but a moment to realize, oh my God, that's John Syracuse. And I knew John because I had been listening to Hypercritical for a while, but he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. Um, and so we were chatting for the couple of hours waiting for the keynote to, to back up a half step. The keynote starts at, I believe, 10 in the morning, San Francisco time. But especially for the East Coasters, like the three of us, it is very easy to get up early because we had just gotten in the day before, you know, our clocks are three hours ahead. It's easy to get up early and just get in line for the keynote. So you would be closer to Steve Jobs or closer to Tim Cook or whatever. And so that's what we used to do, especially at that point uh, when we were younger and could handle not sleeping better. And, uh, and so anyways, so Marco and I had been in line since like literally four or five in the morning that morning. And it was within an hour or two, I think of getting in line that John had found us. And so we just spent like a few hours together, the three of us and whoever else happened to be around at that point. And so we got to be fairly friendly. And then, you know, I would talk to John via Twitter and, and whatnot a fair bit. I should go and look and see what conversations we've had. You know, I'm sure they're still on Twitter somewhere. Um, but anyways, isn't, we that, got, isn't that scary, by the way, that yeah. they're probably still archived somewhere? On yeah. Twitter. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, scary. it's scary, but also kind of delightful and innocent. You know, I, I'm sure that I've said some horribly distasteful things at some point in my life, and maybe they've been deliberate. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. This is not a challenge. Please don't look. But, um, <laughs> but, at the same time, there's something, there's an innocence to it and something I find some, somewhat adorable about being able to go back and see, like, take this argument I had with Marco way, way, way back when on Tumblr about whether or not I should buy a Mac. Like, it is kind of embarrassing today, but it's also a really funny time capsule into the way yeah. I used to think and feel. 
But it's like anyways, finding, it's like finding a digital old journal. Right? Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, very you know, much so. And you're, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that was like the big thing of the event or of that season of my mm-hmm. life. Holy exactly. Cow. Okay. Exactly. So back to back to John. So yeah, so he and I were chatting in line, and you know, we saw each a fair bit of each other during that week, and we became friendly at least to some degree after that. And I think my recollection is by the time two years later that that worked a year and a half later, I guess, that we were starting neutral. Like, we knew each other as well as could reasonably be expected. Like, we had seen each other at the 2012 WWDC, and at that point, we hung out quite a bit more. So, as much as can be reasonably hoped, we were friendly, but I wouldn't say I knew him super well. Like, I wasn't I wasn't uncomfortable by John being there. And I pick on John only because I didn't know him for 20 years like I did Mark. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. You know, I, I wasn't uncomfortable by John being there in the sense that I knew him enough that I felt comfortable with him being there. But I was uncomfortable with both of them being there because I feel like both of them are so incredibly darn smart and they had so much more experience with this as, than I did. And and what we did was we recorded uh, one night that, and that ended up being neutral episodes one and two. And we thought we were just going to record them and burn them. And we didn't. And so because of that, you know, my introduction to literally talking to the Internet was me calling Marco Arment a, um, a phallus uh, because I didn't think this was ever going to be released. And and left to my own devices, I have a bit of a sailor's mouth. And so, you know, he was giving me a hard time about something. And I and I called him a name. And that was the, the first sentence that came out of my mouth talking to the Internet, which I kind of wish I could get back. But it, to some degree, I mean, that's me. So what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. So it was one of the things I've never heard you all talk about was the chemistry between the three of you. I mean, you've said you've been doing ATP for seven years, right? So mm-hmm. at this point, if you're if people are going to come into ATP, like they're coming into the fact that you all have had a lot of experience with each other and you've bounced a lot of ideas back and forth with each other. You have jokes, you you pick on each other in different ways and, that, and you know, in, in good ways. But when you first started... Was it awkward? Was it weird? Were there times where, like, what is it like for three people, two of whom who have known each other for a little while or for a, a long while, and then a couple others who are kind of still getting to know each other? What's it like for that that dynamic to come together? You know, I feel like looking at it with retrospect, it could be attributed to being a mathematical equation. Like, I think that if you were to pigeonhole us into different roles, like John is the super analytical, uh, frustratingly, almost always correct, you know, like uh, dad of the group. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean that <laughs> no, like I a, in, a, in a, in a loving way, you know, he's kind of the, and he's, he's only a handful of years older than, than Marco and I, and Marco and I are like three months apart. Um, but it's enough of a difference that he's not in a different generation, but he's also not in the same generation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of the, like, the the dad of the three of us um marco is i I struggle to classify him or describe him but i feel like he's kind of the i'm gonna go to the beat of my own drummer and if you don't like that tough nuggies for you and not that that characterizes him as meaner than than he is i don't mean it that way but like marco is his own man and he owns it and he is and he is happy with it and i in many ways am jealous of his confidence and 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 admire it and then I feel like if I were to slot myself into any role, I'm kind of the bumbling everyman, I think, that that is just trying to keep up with the other two. Um, and and I think that you can look at the three of us, and much like the BBC show Top Gear, you know, in the, in the early aughts and, and in the 2010s, 
each of those three men had a kind of specific role and whether or not it was deliberate, it just kind of ended up that way. And I feel like, and I feel like we're kind of that way as well, that over time, not to say that we're playing a role, but our, our natural, our natural personalities kind of end up fitting in, in a, in a way that makes sense. And you'll have to forgive me because I've been shooting the, um, the basketball, uh, uh, documentary series, the last dance into my veins over the last 10 weeks or five weeks, whatever it's been. And, you know, something that this is a documentary about the Chicago bulls when they were winning a whole bunch of championships in the mid 1990s. And, Something that Steve Kerr, who is now the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, said was, you know, when I was coming on the Bulls, it was clear to me that this gentleman who was leaving the Bulls, John Paxton, uh, or Paxton, he he had a, John had a role. John Paxton had a role. And I feel like my body type and my athletic ability, says Steve Kerr, could fit into that role and, and do well for the team. And so I kind of put myself in that role and molded myself to better fit that role. And I think over seven years, it's a kind of similar thing with ATP. Like we fell into these roles by being us, but now that we're here, I feel like to some degree, my job on the show is to be that every man and to call Marco and John out if they're being preposterous in some way, shape or form. Um, and, and similarly, it's their job to call me out for, for not taking things to the nth degree or sometimes for taking things to the nth degree. I don't know. I'm bumbling now. I think I hope some of that, maybe you can scrape two words together. No, that makes no, no. sense out of all no, that. that. That makes total sense. And and I think the thing that you're maybe intentionally, maybe not, but like, I think the thing that you're downplaying is sure you all fit into those roles, but at the same time, you aren't afraid to come out of them when it's appropriate like or like and it's not that you're you know you're stuck in your lane and you're not allowed to come sure, out of your sure. lane because there are there are situations where you know i see you put on your you know this is my programmer this is my developer hat and mm-hmm. you know by by goodness you're going to hear what i'm what i'm going to have to say and like <laughs> and, and, and that's good right because um because that needs to happen or there's going to be times when you know you know marco veers over into you know, crazy obsessive territory about headphones or right, microphones right, right. or something. So it's like, it, it's good. Like, I, I think, I think that's a good, a good fit. Now we could spend most of the show talking about ATP and the development of ATP and things like that, but I want to move on to, cause you're much broader than that. What I'm curious about, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard this anywhere is how did analog get started? And cause analog is a very different show. And, um, I like the fact that analog is a very different show and when I say different, I don't mean just from ATP, but I mean different as in uh, it's unique on on the internet. So how did analog get rolling? You know, what? how did you and Mike meet each other? How did the idea for that show come about? Yeah, so Mike and I met also at WWDC. Uh, that would have been, I think, either 2013 or 2014. I don't recall exactly, to be honest. But we had met at WWDC at this point. Uh, Mike was becoming Mike and Stephen both Stephen Hackett, who are now co-founders of Relay FM, and that's where Analog is. Um, at the time, I was vaguely aware of their existence, but I didn't really know either of them. And I and I hope that doesn't come across dismissively. I don't mean it that way at all. It's just that I I wasn't terribly familiar with their work, which again sounds dismissive, but I don't mean no, it no, to no. Be. it's it's not it's uh, not you um, can't know everything. Yeah, so I didn't really know who they were, but I met Mike, and I think that they were either at 5x5 five five or like about to join 5x5 five five at this point. And I met Mike and Steven and 
I hit it off really well with both of them. And I think I just happened to spend more time with Mike and I really, really hit it off with Mike super well. And it was one of those friendships that like you go from zero to a hundred in like a day, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and you don't get those, like those really deep, like meaningful friendships in your life that often when, when, they, when they go in a couple of days from nothing to very meaningful, you know, Marco and I have known each other for 20, 30 years and it's gone from nothing to meaningful. But with Mike, it was, you know, two or three days and we just felt like, you know, Mike was a podcaster at this point and I was podcasting at this point and it felt like it would be fun to do a show for the two of us. And we didn't really know what to do. And I, I honestly don't recall which one of us came up with the idea, but we had kicked around the idea of doing analog quite a long time before we had actually started it. And it got to the point that I even was building a Squarespace website because we were going to do it like independently because um, I, I, Relay wasn't even a, a, a thought at this point as far as I knew. And we knew that that Dan and the 5x5 crew probably wouldn't be interested in it. So we were just going to do it for funsies just for us. And then we kind of put it aside and then Relay happened. And then I believe it was Mike came to me and said, well, let's make this a launch show for Relay. And so that would have been August of 14, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Analog was one of the five shows that, that that launched with Relay. And to the best of my recollection, was the only original show to launch with Relay. Everything else was coming from somewhere else, coming from 5x5 five, five five, or rebooted from, you know, the, the corpse of something that was at 5x5. Five five. Um, because I believe it was the prompt was at 5x5 five five and connected is what started at Relay. But they're effectively the same show. Um, and so, yeah, so Analog, it was originally planned to be us talking about kind of not too dissimilar from talking to the internet actually, but, you know, talking about what it was, what it's like to have the internet pulsing through our veins and, and, and how do we, uh, how do we have a healthy relationship with our devices and computers and whatnot? And I feel like we kind of went with that for a handful of episodes and then it just kind of either devolved or evolved, depending on how you look at it into just kind of being a human interest show about the two of us, which is super conceited and not a very good elevator pitch, but that's kind of what it is. It's just Mike and me talking about our lives. And I think here again, we were lucky enough and hopefully remain lucky enough to have pretty great chemistry. And that's what I think keeps both ATP and and analog interesting. And ATP, I think on paper, ATP is an easier show to listen to because it's ostensibly about things. It's about, you know, news and the in the Apple world and the, the worlds that are associated with it, whereas analog is kind of about two dudes, you know, two, mm-hmm. two, yeah, very, exactly. two very privileged dudes, white dudes. And so on the surface, not a great show, but I really enjoy recording it. And I feel like the fans of analog, though they are not numerous, are very, very devout fans of the show, which is extremely kind and complimentary of them. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that strikes me about, about that show is it... It takes what you talked about before with the reason you started writing words on the internet, and it, I think that one more than anything puts it into an audio form, right? Like because part of it is you're talking with a friend about things in life. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that—that's a—that's a major part of the show. And I I see a parallel there with like, well, why am I doing that? Because I'm learning things in life, and I want to talk to my friend about it. And here's a way to do that. But two it might help other people. Right. And I don't know if you would ever, I don't know if you, maybe if I'm mischaracterizing it, feel free to correct me, but it's like <laughs> that that's part of, I think what the, the value of the show is, right. Is, is like, Hey, these things are happening and I'm processing through them and I'm working through them and I'm learning different things, some good, some bad. Right. And, but it's like, 
I want to communicate that to the world. So it's like I very much see a parallel between that and the original like Hello World, you know, HTML file that <laughs> that goes up, you know, way back in way back in the day. I think you're absolutely right in saying it's it's similar to from a from an audience perspective, it's similar to this show in terms of like it it runs in a much much narrower lane, right? Because it's if if you connect with the two of you, awesome. If you don't connect with the two of you, eh, there's a good chance you're gonna you're gonna veer out of the lane and go somewhere else, and that's fine, yeah, right? Like yeah. I think I think the the space is big enough for that. Um, but it's like it's it's just interesting that you're you're involved in two successful shows that are almost in my mind, you know, very 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 different in style and very different in, in format, but they they merge together with um, connection between between humans. So I, I like I like seeing that. I like seeing that you're you're tied together there. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you, and I appreciate it. And I think, if anything, the, the common thread for me between the two shows is being around people that are, I was going to say very different from me, but in so many ways, we're very the same. You know, we're, we're all arguably middle-aged white guys um, who are, you know, who are, by and large, extremely lucky. But if you'll permit me to be completely myopic about this, like to my eyes, the the three co-hosts, you know, the two on ATP and, and Mike, we're all very, very, very different from each other. I mean, Mike is born and bred in London. Um, he's four years younger than I, so he's younger. He's, he's as old as my middle brother. Um, and again, even though that's not that different between he and I, that ends up making for a noticeable difference in the way we were brought up. And, you know, I think, all three of the, of the four of us, including me, um, I think that we all came from very different financial backgrounds. We came from different geographic backgrounds. I mean, even within America for, for the other two guys on ATP and myself. And I think that in a lot of ways, we take somewhat different approaches to life and in a lot of ways, very similar, but, but in many, many ways, very different. And I think that the tectonic plates of us rubbing against each other in both our similarities and our differences is what makes any either of the shows at all compelling and if i were to go back and listen to an atp from i don't know 2015 i wouldn't care at all about the news that was going on or what Mm -hmm. we were commenting Mm -hmm. on but to your point earlier i would like to think that even by 2015 the three of us had enough chemistry that we would keep it interesting and even though the two of them can drive me insane sometimes, it still is incredibly fun getting lambasted by Marco and John. And, <laughs> and sometimes I think that's my job, and sometimes I, I, I think it's just funny and fun. Um, and and so for ATP, I like to think it's the chemistry that, that, that keeps it interesting for everyone. For analog, I think it is the chemistry that keeps it interesting, but it's also a little bit selfish for me because that is a very much a time capsule into my life. I mean, if you look at it, when analog started, I was just a couple months shy of being a dad. And, you know, Aaron Aaron, Aaron and I had our son, Declan, in October of 2014. And that show, analog, started in August. And so you can hear me going from having no children to one child to two children. You can hear me going from not being an iOS developer and having like a very boring corporate stooge kind of job to being an iOS developer to being an independent iOS developer. I mean, that's having analog is an incredible gift from me to me and perhaps from me to my children, because in a way that probably very few children can, my kids will have the option of hearing their dad grow up Mm -hmm. and in a way that almost nobody does outside of like, 
a movie star's kid or something like that. And with the movie star, it comes with the added burden of having a lot of money. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I really do think that that is an added oh, burden. Yeah. It yeah, comes yeah. with the burden of having fame and, and, and all of these other problems, whereas I'm kind of having my cake and eating it too. You know, I have, I'm famous for one week a year when we were still allowed to gather together in San Francisco or San Jose, uh, <laughs> but the rest of the year, nobody cares about me. And yet I have all of this recorded content for my kids to listen to if they so desire and hear what, what their dad was like way back when. Yeah. And, 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 adding to that right talking to one of his really good friends you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. so because like because that changes it right if you're if you're producing a show where you're delivering whatever content even if it's your thoughts like a like a, um like a casey neistat vlog sure right like sure. right like that's a that's a way to document that but there's very different if you're having a conversation with one of your really good friends because that really good friend will pull things out of you that you didn't think that you were going to talk about or that you didn't even know you wanted to talk about so um, wow, I hadn't thought about it that way. I hadn't thought about analog that way, but that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting perspective on that show. Um, okay, so I'm going to move us forward. So I want to paint a brush over the fact that you guest on a lot of different shows as well, right? Like, I mean, if you go on uh, caseylist.com, right, there's a whole series of of shows where you've guested and it's either, you know, coding and development or, you know, this show here, this show there, what what's beneficial or what do you like about guesting on a show as opposed to um actually hosting your own show uh for one it's extremely flattering to even be asked um i i feel like i i get requests in waves and they'll be like nothing for months and then suddenly a bunch of people reach out and then they'll be like nothing for months and then a bunch of people reach out um but no it's just it's flattering to be asked at all and then beyond that it's almost no like in it's it's no effort on my part. I just have to sit at my desk in front of a microphone for like thirty to one hundred and twenty minutes, and I have to do no prep work. I have to do no post work <laughs> you know i it's there's almost no other effort for me at all and one of the things I enjoy most about doing a guest spot is when I get to do something like this or, you know, I've, I've been on a, a Disney-related podcast, uh, Starport 75, a couple of times recently, and I really enjoy being able to talk about stuff that I don't often get to talk about on my other shows. And, I mean, granted, they are my shows, and I could talk about Disney on ATP, and I did recently. But, you know, with ATP, the the other two guys are not the biggest Disney fans in the world, and so they're they're either not going to have a lot to say about it or perhaps will be curmudgeonly about it. And so it's fun to go on a show like Starport 75 and be able to be like, hey, let's talk Disney and let's go deep in Disney for a little while because that's something mm -hmm. I don't often find myself talking about. Um, and so that that's just one example. But in general, it's just fun to be able to talk to somebody else. And it's also a challenge in a good way to be able to go from really not knowing somebody to having somewhat of a rapport with somebody in the span of just a little while, you know, I mean, you know, I'd spoken via text a handful of times, like via Twitter or email, what have you, but you know, we've never verbally chatted with each other and, and you know me to some degree from my work. I know you to some degree from your work, but we've never really, really talked like this. And I think there's some amount of fun and challenge in trying to trying to have something that's presentable and workable going almost from nothing and 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 i think that that's kind of enjoyable too yeah for sure for sure okay so take us to uh casey on cars right um <laughs> I'm, I'm you know i i've heard about this and i've watched i've watched the episodes and um i want to know 
I think I think the listeners of this show who are interested in talking to the internet and ways to talk on the internet and why you do different things and why you know things go up and things go down and and those type of things. Talk to me about the development process of that um, YouTube channel. Yeah, so a friend of mine, uh, Sam Abelsamid, who runs the Wheel Bearings podcast, which I've also guested on a couple of times. Uh, Wheel Bearings is neutral, but if people actually knew what they were talking about. <laughs> so um, Wheel Bearings is, is a really good show. And Sam had put me in contact with a PR person at Alfa Romeo. I forget exactly how or why this happened, to be honest, but he had put me in contact with a gentleman at Alfa Romeo and said, hey, you know, you should get this guy, Casey, a, a press car. You should, you should loan him an Alfa Romeo for a little while, and he'll talk about it on his podcast, and you know, you'll get a little bit of press out of it. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, the gentleman at Alfa Romeo said, yeah, sure, okay, sounds great. And uh, so I forget exactly when it was, but it was late in the year, a year or two back. Um, I got an Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio sedan. So this is a 500 plus horsepower uh, rear wheel drive Italian sedan that I had for a week to do whatever I wanted. And at the same time, like myself and, and Mike and a couple other people, even Marco at this point was at least dabbling in YouTube. And mm-hmm. for us old fogies, it seemed like, oh, all the kids are on YouTube now. Maybe we should think about this YouTube thing. And so I wanted to try it. And it was also different for me because even though I've been on hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, I've never edited one ever to this day because I've never had the occasion to. Marco always edits ATP. Mike always edited Analog. And now we have Jim Metzendorf doing it for us, who is excellent. I've never had an occasion to edit a podcast. And I think to some degree, I wanted to scratch that itch, but I wanted to be able to scratch it without having to rely on other people. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to have yeah. a co-host or what have you. And yeah. I've ne- having never edited a show, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but Final Cut Pro seems not too spiritually dissimilar from Logic. And I wanted to be able to do something that was mine end-to-end for better and for worse. And I wanted to do something visual because not only are the kids at YouTube these days, but you know, the car is an inherently visual thing, especially for me. I, I find cars to be works of art in so many ways. And so it seemed wrong in, in, in a way to, to limit my thoughts on this car to only audio. And so I had been given an, a um, given an old GoPro from a internet friend of mine, Brian King, and I had my iPhone and I, in my airpods and i just recorded that episode as best i could and i and i made a video out of it and the reception was great given what i was doing which is something totally out of my comfort zone something that was not technically particularly well done but people responded to it really well um and so i was able to finagle uh through uh some other friends uh i was able to finagle uh, a, a couple of Volkswagens, which ended up being extremely useful because I basically got an extended test drive on the car I eventually bought. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I was able to get a couple of Volkswagens. A local friend of ours lent me their uh, their CRV, and I was able to get I don't know what is it like five episodes out, um, and it was incredibly fun. It was an incredible amount of work, and. I am extremely glad I did it, but sitting here now, I don't currently plan on doing any more. I do have a review that I filmed like a year and a half ago of uh, Tesla Model 3 and Tesla Model S. Um, My dear friend, uh, underscore David Smith, 
uh, he had a Model S and then was leasing, or no, he had leased a Model S, had, was then buying a Model 3, and it so happened that he had the both of them together for like a week when the lease hadn't ended and, and he had gotten the delivery of the, of the Model 3 early. And so I went up to Northern Virginia where he is, and I recorded for like a few hours with Dave, and that video was actually nearly done. I think I'm like a couple of voiceovers away from completing it, and I honestly don't know why I haven't yet, but... Other than that, I don't think I'm going to release any more, and I'm not even convinced I'm going to release the Tesla one at this point. Um, and it's just because it is an indescribable amount of work for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. almost no financial payoff whatsoever. And when yeah. you're independent, those are that that math equation is important. It was one thing when I started, when I was doing it kind of on the side from my real jobby job, and I just did it on like nights and weekends and whatever. It's not a big deal. But now it's a big deal. Like if I'm taking away time that I could be using to work on podcasts or work on my apps, it better be financially worth it. And it's just not financially worth it. I, I It so happens I needed to do something with Google for uh, getting pay, payment for AdSense. And it looks like last year I made about 100 bucks, And this year I've made about 100 bucks. And given the amount of time I put into those videos, it's just not even, it's not even close to reasonable payoff. And that makes sense, right? Like you can't just go into YouTube and expect to make a zillion dollars, especially having never done it before. But the fact of the matter is, I don't feel like I have the spare time to dedicate to this, to work, to make it uh, profitable. And so I had to make the tough decision to just stop doing it, which was also a relief in some ways, because as much as I enjoyed doing it, there were so many things about it, even even the later videos, that I wish I could have done better. Like, I wish I had a drone to capture this or that, or I wish I had someone who could be a second shooter, or I wish I had a better audio, or whatever the case may be. Like, I feel like with video particularly, there's always an equipment itch that I could have scratched. And so not only am I not making money off of it, but now I'm, I'm now hypothetically pouring money into it. And it's just, it's untenable. And as much as I really enjoy doing it, I just don't have the time or the or the money to continue to do so well and i and i so love your honesty with that because you know i've, I've heard this from different from different individuals um you know it, when you switch to video it, it it opens up this whole can that one is crazy expensive but two the time i mean the amount of time it takes because there's this uh, not a fourth dimension, but like if you understand what yeah, I'm, yeah, what I'm yeah. trying to say, like you you unpack all these things. Well, now you have to deal with lighting, and you have to deal with framing, and you have to deal with um, you know layovers for text and 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 those type of things. That like the process just becomes so much different. I I dabbled around with um, doing a show about starting this show, right, and doing it as a as a YouTube show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's there's I think two maybe three videos that I put out there, and I realized I can't do this. Like if I'm going to actually do the audio show, that takes up so much of my time that I don't have time to also do the the other show and then still do my normal job and then still sure. be around, you know, to to be a dad. And like it's like it's crazy. And then you add on to the fact of that you see. Um, so I think about like the big, you know, the big names in it and they all have a team like they all have this crazy big team that's prepping shows and doing lighting and doing those things that you talked about like somebody's running the drone while while you're yeah, shooting yeah, yeah. The, the shot or somebody's got the second camera and it it's so interesting to just see that divide when you get to video and you when you switch into that video thing and then if you want to do video and you want it to go big 
it's almost like there's this whole nother another layer of of things on top of that it, it's just a it's a really interesting medium um to dabble in when it comes to to talking to the internet and i'm sure there are people out there they're like oh i use my i use my iphone and that's all i ever do and i edit on clips and you know look how successful my show's been it's like yeah that's all fine and good but it's just so interesting to see how different the mediums are um but thanks for thanks for discussing and talking about you know hey i did this thing it was fun but you know sometimes you just got to shut it down like you realize that this is good and i liked it and i learned a lot and yeah, I'm going to I'm going to close it down yeah. um, because you, you don't hear that story a lot. Well, I mean, it's the truth of it. Right. And plus, even if I even if I was really great at it, you know, there's the other issue, the other sticky issue of where do the cars come from? Yeah. Well, you know, my family owns two cars. My parents own a couple of cars and they're close enough that I could go fetch them. But like I would be relying like Doug DeMiro style on like listeners or view watchers, viewers, you know, bringing their cars to me. And that becomes a little dodgy because what if I wreck one of them, you know, and so. I don't know that I really had a great game plan for a long term for for Casey on cars, but it was definitely fun for the time that I did it. And I'm glad I did. And it's funny, too, because, you know, I br- brought up The Last Dance a little while ago, which is, you know, that, that basketball documentary. Um, I had been recording them as they were aired and I wanted to save them off so I could watch them again another time. And I wanted to, you know, splice them up a little bit, like take out commercials. And there were like some really weird like uh, intros and outros that I didn't care for that I just wanted to remove. And it occurred to me, like, I can just take the recording and drop it in Final Cut Pro and it'll take mm-hmm. me no time to to do what I want to do. And it that's exactly what happened. And it's because I spent hours upon hours in Final Cut Pro learning how to do Casey on cars. And because of that, the stuff I wanted to do to like post-process the last dance, it was cake. It was nothing. And so even though Casey on cars cost me probably $500 in equipment and has earned me $200, <laughs> nevertheless, it has earned me a whole bunch of life experience in, in technical yeah. uh, chops that I didn't have before. And so in that sense, I think it was absolutely worth it. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I mean, you know, I just looked at it. I told you as I was, as I was reviewing all the stuff that you've done, I mean, you don't have a, an insubstantial number of views on the, on the, <laughs> on the videos either. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, somebody looking at that, granted, it's not, you know, your 2 million, 4 million or whatever sure. of the, of the, of those, but it's like, people are watching them. You know, it's not that it's not that they're not watching them. So, um, so that's interesting too. All right. So let's get into some of the advice section of the show where, you know, you take your seven plus years of experience, you know, talking in different ways or maybe guess 10 plus years of experience, however long it has been, you know, what we're in, we're in a phase where people are working at home, right? We're in a phase where there's a new podcast that, or there's a hundred thousand new podcasts that start every day. Right. Or, you know, people are starting to blog and do different things. What are your, what's, what are your tips? What's your advice for people who want to get started talking about whatever it is, technology, sourdough bread, right? Like whatever they want to start talking about, what's your advice for them? Yeah, I think um, the most obvious advice is the most frustrating advice, which is just do it. And even if nobody listens to it, just do it. Even if nobody watches it, just do it. And this is much like my journey into photography. Um, you know, I, I had I had wanted to be a better photographer for years, and I felt like the number one thing I needed to do in order to be a better photographer is to buy myself a decent camera. Well, first of all, that isn't much applicable anymore since the darn iPhone is so good, and Android certain Android phones are as well. But 
nevertheless, I felt like, oh, if I just get the right equipment, I'll be good to go. And I feel like this is the same thing everyone goes through. If I just get the right equipment, I'll be good to go. My pictures will suddenly be beautiful. And yeah, my pictures might have beautiful depth of field and beautiful bokeh, but it, they, that doesn't make a good picture. And so what I needed to do in order to be a good photographer is guess what? Take a zillion darn pictures. And so mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. the years, that's what I've done. And I wouldn't say I'm a particularly great photographer, but I'm a better photographer than I was five years ago before I started taking a zillion pictures. And similarly, let, you know, be it a podcast or a website or what have you, the best way to get good at it is to just do it and to just do it and not be afraid to give up if it isn't working or change your direction. I almost said pivot, God help me, uh, but you know, change direction <laughs> or pivot or, you know, whatever the cool Silicon Valley uh, slang is for it these days. Um, don't be afraid to do that. I mean, look at, look at me and podcasting. Like I never thought for a million years, I really truly did not think when I, when, when we started neutral that I was going to end up being a tech podcaster. It seems so obvious in retrospect, like, why would I talk about cars? Of course I would talk about tech. But at the time, I really honestly didn't think I would. I really, truly, honestly didn't think I would. And there were good shows already there, you know, Connected. Uh, no, we might predate Connected. No, uh, no, but the prompt was out, I believe. So yeah, one way or another, like Mike and Steve and Federico were already doing something. The talk show already existed. Like in so many ways, there wasn't really room for another tech show. And yet... When we realized that neutral wasn't working and we realized that the tech stuff was, we changed direction, ran with it, and just kept doing it and kept doing it consistently. And I think that's the other advice I have is that some people can make a very sporadic publishing schedule work. I mean, that's kind of what I did with Casey on Cars. Um, Some relay shows are very sporadic. Some are not. But Arguably, one of the things I am most proud of about ATP is that at almost 400 episodes now, we're at like 375, 380, we have never, ever, ever, ever missed a week since, what, like April of 2013? Now, there have been weeks we've recorded two or three shows and spaced them out over the following two or three weeks. But every single week for seven years, with I think one exception when we did a crossover with a, a couple other relay shows, Every single week for seven years, the three of us have been there. I've had two children. I've left jobs, started new jobs, become independent. Uh, John is is the most stable force in the world, so nothing really, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing extreme has happened in his world. But you know, Marco has had some pretty big change, and you know, he started Overcast, I think, during our run um, or shortly before. Um, he, he's done all sorts of incredible different things with overcast. Like there've been incredible life changes for the three of us and and plenty of reasons for us not to record for one or more weeks at a time. And certainly we are terrible even seven years on at coordinating summer vacations back when, you know, vacations were a thing. Um, and so it seemed like there were, especially last summer, I think there were like five weeks in a row that one of us was gone and some way, somehow we did it and we made it work. And so for seven years, every week we have had a show. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to be that guy tooting my own horn, but what is the last thing that you have done every week for seven years that wasn't involved in just like keeping food on the table or a child alive? You know, Uh, I can't think of anything else I've done for seven straight years. And, And I'm extremely proud of that. And I think that by virtue of doing the same thing over and over that forces you to get better at it. And it also forces you to try to re-examine what is good and what is bad and be different over the years. I like to think that ATP has changed 
somewhere between a little and a lot over the last seven years. You know, we've done obvious things like added listener questions toward the end of the show. Uh, and we've done other very different things. You know, we've started selling merchandise as a silly example. And, and um, you know, there's some other things afoot that we're planning on trying in the latter half of this year. But I think just doing the thing and doing it repeatedly and regularly is the number one best advice I can give. And to have reasonable and low expectations, and maybe that's just a pessimist in me, but you're not going to have a Casey Neistat YouTube channel right out of the gates unless you're doing something extraordinarily novel and interesting. It's just not going to happen. But if you do it long enough and consistently enough, you'll get something good from it. Like I haven't actually paid attention to the, uh, what is it? Jelly's marble runs. Are you familiar with this phenomenon? I know of it, but I don't know anything yeah, okay. about it. Yeah, okay. So apparently you send marbles down these homemade tracks that this team of people does, or maybe it's one person, I don't even know. Um, and and they have like one or more commentators doing sports-style commentary on top of it. And I would bet that if you look back to the originals of that uh, of that YouTube channel, I bet they have very few views, and I bet they don't look great. I don't know this. I'm taking a guess. I really don't know. But now, like as of this week... Last week tonight with John Oliver is now sponsoring their next season. Like that's literally a thing that's happened. And I bet you that's been over the course of years that it's taken for that to happen. And unfortunately, unless you happen to know people who are already famous podcasters, like I kind of did, there's no real way to shortcut your way into it. Um, And that's and that's hard. And so what you got to do is you just got to put in the work. You got to put in the work. And I think I think that's a big takeaway for. Um, you know, I sound, sound like an old man, but it's like for this generation, it's like by the time you're seeing it, a lot of the hard, and I don't want to say hard work, but a lot of the like struggle has already been, has already happened, right? Like, you know, they've already failed nine times before they've ever, before they've ever gotten successful, but it's like that nine times is what refines you to get to the thing that allows you to actually be successful. So your advice to just, you know, do the thing and just keep listening and keep plugging and keep plugging and keep plugging and be consistent. Um, yeah, I, li- I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. So if you had to state one of your um, biggest highlights of talking to the internet, what would you say your biggest highlight has been? Um, again, this, I hope this doesn't sound too tooting of my own horn, but when, when somebody either writes an email or most especially comes up to me and says, oh, my God, I love your work. Thank you for you know talking to the Internet. Thank you for putting that on the Internet. Like, it is a very rare circumstance that I am out in the world. Well, right now it's a rare circumstance I've left my house. But, <laughs> yes. but taking, taking all this you know, in the appropriate context, it's a rare circumstance that I'm out in the world and somebody comes up to me and says, oh, my gosh, you know, I love your work. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I live in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, and... I don't know how many ATP listeners or analog listeners are here, but I bet you I've probably met all of them at this point because there's just not that many. But but if you put me in a situation like WWDC where um, where there's a lot of like-minded people all in the same spot, then it's not unusual for somebody to come up and say, oh my gosh, you know, I love your work. Thank you so much. And, and that that is extremely, extremely kind and flattering and wonderful and, and makes all of the tough sides kind of just disappear. Um, I think on a similar vein, um, some of the hardest stuff that I've done has been talking about um, some of the troubles that we had starting a family. Uh, Mm -hmm. Aaron and I had to get a fair bit of help to have both of our children. And in 2014, the middle of 2014, uh, when we announced that we were pregnant with Declan, um, I put together a post 
about what it was like to deal with infertility. And we talked about it on Analog later on that year as well. And I think that that is some of my favorite work, even though it's kind of depressing, because it clearly struck a nerve with so many people. And I've had so much incredible, wonderful feedback from people saying, you know, oh my God, I thought I was the only one going through this. And just reading those words or hearing you talk about it made me know, oh goodness, it's not just me. And yeah. and that that is an opportunity that not many people have that I was lucky enough to have. And um, it was, it, it wasn't like it was a task. I can't think of a better word to describe it, but I feel like, it was it was a responsibility I had, given whatever platform I may have, to talk about this and shed light on something that most people don't talk about. Like infertility is a very taboo topic that most people do not wish to talk about and certainly do not wish to hear about. And I th- I am glad that I rose to the occasion and did talk about it. And I'm glad that Aaron was cool with talking about it and, and me talking about it. Because I really think more than possibly anything else I've done on the internet, that has helped more people. And that's that's something I'm extremely proud of and thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, you know, you're saying that echoes um, other folks that I've talked to is, it's really this, this idea of community, right? Like, so you throw, you throw that, and we'll use the infertility thing as, as a clear example of this. Really, there's a community that's developing around that and you're acting as a catalyst to help get that community started or help people feel that they are part of a community, whereas they might not be able to access that community or they might not be comfortable with accessing that community, but it's like, you've, you've, um, worked your way into their mind and into their heart through things that are completely different. But then, you know, you come out with this other thing and it's like, Oh my goodness, like he is like, we are, and we are like, they are, and like, we're connecting with all these other different people. So uh, that's what I, I think. That's one of the things that draws me to, doing the show that draws me my motivation for talking to people about why they talk to the internet is because there are these stories that come out that establish much deeper, bigger things, right. Than just you, uh, John and Marco getting on online and talking about, you know, technology. It's like, no, no, no. Like there are deeper things there. And sometimes, you know, you can take it too far, but at the same time they're there and they're real. And I like, calling them out. I like surfacing them. Um, I think, I think that's a lot of fun. All right. So we're going to take a complete turn. We're going to move to the unlightening round. If you're ready. Oh, I, as ready as I'll ever be. I think just to remind everyone, uh, Casey does not know these questions. Uh, this will be the first time he has, uh, heard these questions and he has to answer them as fast as he can, which will probably not be very fast. So here we go. <laughs> uh, overall, Casey, what is your favorite content on the internet? Okay, so let me try to stay outside of my like podcast uh, myopic view uh, at first. And I really, really enjoy uh, regular car reviews on YouTube. Now, I will warn you, if you've not heard it, um, it's very crass and very um, sophomoric in the humor uh, and fairly vulgar. I'm pretty sure it's a shtick. I don't think it's genuine, but sometimes I get a little uncomfortable because I wonder if it is genuine. But... I it's it's a guy who is educated. He has like an English major um, and talks about reviews like regular cars, you know, like not supercars, not, you know, $90,000 Alfa Romeos, like regular cars, uh, but does so in just this extremely unique and interesting way that I, I just I don't 
I don't know how they do it. It's it's and it's hard to describe, but it's way more insightful. You get way more insight out of like a review of an '80s LeBaron than you would ever expect. <laughs> uh, so that's regular car reviews on YouTube. And then with regard to podcasts, um, a couple that come to mind actually and share one of the one of the same hosts. Um, Two Headed Girl is uh, by my friends uh, Alex and and Maddie Cox, and it's a it's an, a journey. And an adventure uh, with Maddie and, and Alex um, trying to understand gender and sexuality and, and Maddie being transgender. Um, I hope I have that verbiage right. See, this is why I need that show in my life because I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I need I need help getting getting the right terminology. But it is a, it is a phenomenal show and I've learned so much from it. Um, even even though these are issues that I can't say that I am seeing day to day in my life. It's fascinating and has given me, and I like to think of myself as reasonably empathetic anyway, but it's given me so much more empathy um, and helped me understand so much more the trials and tribulations and troubles that, that, they, have, that they have to go, go through and deal with. Um, and so Two-Headed Girl is very, very good. And then also from Alex, um, Dubai Friday is... Uh, it's the most frustrating show on the internet because it is so good and I'm so angry that I didn't come up with the idea and I'm so jealous because it is so, so good. Uh, this is Alex Cox, uh, Merlin Mann and Max Temkin. And it's kind of, I don't know, like a variety show, a comedy show. I don't know what it is, but it's darn near perfect every week and I hate them so much for it. So uh, within <laughs> podcasts, I would I would try both of them out. Wonderful. All right. So the next thing is your overall favorite personality on the internet uh, so individual personality well see I'm, I'm sticking with the same thing over 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 each of these answers so far but uh, i love merlin man i don't listen to everything that merlin does um i i think i only listen to uh rec diffs with john syracusa who is also on atp and and the just mentioned dubai friday but something about merlin just makes me so genuinely happy and i think it might be that and I don't know, this this may, may not be true at all, and God help me if Merlin ever hears this, but I feel like more than almost anyone else, Merlin strikes me as the most real person that I regularly listen to on the internet. And maybe he would tell you that that could not be further from the truth. Maybe he'll tell you it's all a persona, and it's all a facade, and it's all bogus. But I've had the pleasure of being around Merlin a handful of times in real life, and it's the same Merlin that I get in my ears every week on Dubai Friday and, you know, every couple of weeks on rec diffs. And I don't know something about Merlin. I just love so much. And especially hanging out with him in person, which I, like I said, I've been able to do a couple of times. His mind is so damn fast that he'll be five jokes ahead and I'll have just gotten the joke five jokes back. <laughs> and, yeah. and there's something about that. That is, it's, it's like challenging, but in a delightful way. And so, um, even though I don't listen to everything Merlin does, I think by and large, it is his insights and his takes and his personality that I think without fail gives me the most joy in, in the media that I consume. Okay. So a creator, a show, or some sort of internet content that you would consider on the rise, right? It's not super popular, but it's Ooh. coming up and it's really good. Shoot. Now, see, I really told myself, I said before the show, I'm going to try to be quick and Oh, that's a good one. What is on the rise these days? See, I'm trying to look at Overcast and see what I'm listening to that most maybe get all hipster about what's in Overcast. Um, you know, Fun Fact FM, I don't know if that's on the rise or Fun Fact is a show by um, 
by my friends Alan Pike and Arik Devins. Um, that I, I have no idea if they're crazy super popular already or not. But Fun Fact is really, really good, and they have really great chemistry. So Fun Fact is ostensibly about, you know, bringing a fun fact to the other um, and and just talking about it. I really enjoy that show because not only is it interesting, but it's very it's not like a lecture. It's very conversational. Um, and, and so I really enjoy that. And they'll do enough research to have a good conversation, but not so much research that you're just getting read to, if that makes sense. So um, I don't know if that's on the rise or not, but I, I like Fun Fact a lot. And also I'll plug a local show, uh, Sam and Ross Like Things. It's a couple of friends of mine here in Richmond. And well, they're actually in Richmond proper, not in the suburb like me. And um, they, it's a show that they do ostensibly fortnightly they they aren't as consistent as you know as they probably want to be but they're usually fairly consistent uh but sam and ross likes like things the entire shtick of the show is that they talk about things they like and you are not allowed to hedge so you can't say well i understand regular car reviews can be a little problematic but i really nope no 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 regular car reviews is good i like it here's why you know in or, or whatever it is that they're liking these days and even though it's two richmonders so sometimes that amounts to things that are local to richmond i really in my heart believe that it's a show that anyone could enjoy and one of the things i love so much about it is that it's always positive uh and so i really enjoy that as well all righty you're allowed to watch listen consume one show for the remainder of your time so it's like I put you on a on a deserted island, but I give you one piece of content, and you can have like the whole series. Mm-hmm, so let's mm-hmm. say it's a series of content that'll last, you know, in perpetuity. But what is the one piece of content that you choose to have on the island with you? So my initial thought was Top Gear, the the run, particularly from like 2002 ish until what like 2015 ish with Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May. Uh, that was my initial thought, but. I think I'm actually going to audible and I think I would take the TV series scrubs. It is my favorite comedy. Um, you can keep the last season. That season doesn't exist, but up until that last season, when they kind of tried to bring back half the cast and it just didn't work. Um, we, Aaron and I recently, we rewatched that from start to finish a year or so ago, and I am ready to do it again. Aaron rightfully so has explained to me that there's more TV in the world that we should <laughs> consume and, you know, we should give some of that a try. And she's right. But uh, it's just such comfort food. And and here again, like on the surface, it's just a comedy. It's a comedy about a bunch of doctors at a teaching hospital. But they do conquer deep, heavy topics. But they do so in, in a wonderfully enjoyable way. And I just I love that show so much. I feel like the comedy in that show is the exact perfect right comedy for me. And if I was alone on a desert island, I would probably need to pick me up. And as much as I do love Top Gear and I, as much as I do love seeing cars, you know, pirouetting around a old abandoned runway uh, and as much as Top Gear is funny, um, I think I would probably take Scrubs. All right. So this is your last question. As the Disney expert on the show, <laughs> right, which is which is challenging because I know so much about Disney. But as the Disney expert on the show, uh, what what is one thing a novice needs to know if they're planning a trip? Um. You know, there, there's a million and seven different no, things. You have to pick one. But what I would recommend, uh, first of all, Disneyland does not exist. It is, but, it is but the rough draft for the masterpiece that is Disney World. So you can <laughs> skip Disneyland. Uh, come at me, Californians. Um, I would say 
what you need to do, what I would recommend is start your planning by picking out what restaurants you want to eat in. Now, maybe that just is explaining to you how much I love food. So maybe this may not be the same for you. But in our experience, what we've done is we've said, okay, we want to eat dinner at the Coral Reef, which is in Epcot. All right. So we know we need to end the day in Epcot and let's plan backwards from there. So we're going to have a reservation at five o'clock or seven o'clock or whatever, a Coral Reef at Epcot. Let's figure out what we want to do from there. And then from there, you can start figuring out, okay, what fast passes do you want to reserve, which is the thing that lets you cut the line. Uh, where do you, what park do you want to be in in the morning? We know we're going to be in Epcot at night. Maybe we want to be in Epcot in the morning. Maybe we want to be at Magic Kingdom in the morning. And so you can back up from there and kind of figure out your schedule from dinner. And I say dinner because typically, you know, with Disney dining, um, I actually think that Disney restaurants are phenomenal. And you typically need to reserve dining reservations literally six months ahead, especially if you're getting something popular like um, the Be Our Guest restaurant, which is uh, Beauty and the Beast themed or some of the other ones. You literally need to wake up, you know, six months from your first day on vacation and, and make these reservations. And so I would start there, figure out what dinners you want and go from there. And if you want recommendations for dinner places in Disney, I, I have plenty that I can share with you because although I've not been to Disney very many times, I have eaten a lot of different restaurants there and they are delightful. So look me up online. You should, uh, you should start a Disney podcast. You know, I, I've thought about that or a Disney planning website. Actually, I've also considered with some local friends of ours that, that are also Disney obsessed. The problem I have is that I don't think I have enough content. Like I've, I've only, um, I've only been a handful of times in my entire life. And, and certainly now God knows when I'm going to be able to go again, which is depressing. But, um, but as much as I would love to do it, I just don't think that I, I think like neutral, actually, by the end of neutral, we had really run out of stuff to say without just becoming a news show, which is fine. That's what ATP is. But, you know, I think we'd run out of stuff to say about our perspectives on cars. And I think with with a Disney show, maybe maybe a miniseries is workable, but I, I don't think I could sustain a Starport 75, for example, where it's just, you know, every week or every couple of weeks, you know, it's, it's more new Disney content. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have enough, but. Yeah, that the first the only way the only way to know is to try. Yeah, exactly. Well, Casey, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, if folks want to find out or learn more about you and the work that you're doing, where would you point them to? Uh, the easiest place to start is probably my website, which is caseylist.com. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I spend entirely too much time on Twitter, so you can find me there at Casey Liss. Um, if you want to see kind of a a more or a um, both more real and less real version of me. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram at Casey Liss. Um, I tend to be more, not flippant isn't, isn't necessarily the word I'm looking for, but more casual with my stories when I do post them. And obviously like everyone else, my Insta, my full on posts are curated and perfect in every way. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I do enjoy Instagram, even though I don't contribute that much to it. I do spend a lot of time looking at it because I love it so much because in so, in, in so many ways, I think it's a happy place, whereas Twitter is not. Uh, but yeah, Basically, Casey Liss on almost everything. Wonderful. I uh, recommend you go out and check out Casey's work more broadly. Casey's been a pleasure having you on this show. If you want to find out more about Talking to the Internet, you can go to TalkingToTheInternet.com. Uh, on Twitter, we're at TTTI Podcast. Uh, I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for, for listening, and thanks for learning with us. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Corey. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.